Whew, my goodness. <laughs> Let's give it up one more time. My goodness. God. Incredible, incredible. Oh, my goodness. What a song, huh? I mean, there is nothing that our God can't do. Um, and I love that. And, it, and it's so sad because we tend to uh, realize that after he's done something rather than trusting with him before, you know? And... Uh, my goodness, that was just such a beautiful song, such a beautiful praise team. One of the things I love about our praise team is that they live their worship on and off the stage. And that is so, so important. You know, growing up uh, in a band myself and having my father who was in a band, it was so easy to see people, you know, preach on stage and not live like Jesus off stage. So to have a worship team, to have a church uh, who is so fixated on following the Lord, um, that says something. So you guys have come to the right place. And, uh, yeah, just see that as an example and know that they practice what they preach as well as the rest of us should. Good morning, church. How is everybody doing today? Everybody okay? All right, we got a full house here today. It's so good to see you guys. My name is Pastor Josh. I'm the youth pastor slash one of the associate pastors here at the church. It is such a pleasure to be with you all today. I pray that you may get something out of the message. This is something that I need to hear because I usually preach on the things that I struggle with the most. So here I was trying to think about how to start this message, how to, you know, I usually start with a video or something that just to help pump myself up in order to uh, have this message come as clearly as possible. And I was like, you know what, how about a poem or something or just something? And, and I was looking on the internet and and I was looking for poems that relates to the message that, I was, that I'm about to preach to you guys. And uh, the Lord was like, hey, don't be lazy. Write something yourself. I'm like, I'm not a poet. I don't want to write poetry. What are you talking about? He's like, no, no. If you really want to reach somebody, you know, if you really want to touch their hearts, you know, you need to allow me to touch your heart. And so I'd like to start off with a poem that I wrote. You know, I was in my little jammy jam, in my little jammy jams. I was in my jams, in bed, on my phone, writing this poem. It's called Beauty and the Beast, and I hope you enjoy it because I'm a little nervous to recite it to you. Okay. All right. So the poem goes like this. Love one another. It's so much easier said than done. Like I'm supposed to just forgive the enemies of my past and be like Jesus to everyone? Please. You can't expect me to drop my defenses, my shallow pretenses, and come to the senses of both our offenses? See, it's not that easy. It's no walk in the park when you have lived so long and so strong within the dark of my heart. You see, it feels better that you're there, so I have something to lean on, because the truth of the matter is, I don't have to be strong in my hate, not uh, really wishing that you're gone, so I can continue masking my stories of how I'm right and you're wrong. See, I'd rather have you wallow in my self-pity, not allowing you to see the real me, because the real me ain't pretty. If I love like I'm supposed to, then what defense can I get close to when I need the upper hand to help me stand just a little bit higher than you? Because if I'm honest, I'm really not that strong. I mean, I get tired of sticking my neck out to be noticed and begging to belong. I come to church every Sunday looking for some sort of spiritual wealth, but how can I follow a God that says to love thy neighbor when I really just hate myself? See, I love it when you see the Christian walls I build up around me, but deep down inside, I am living in agony and dying to be set free. Free to love, free to live, free to mean it when I say I forgive, free from the bondage of my own mistakes, free from the heart that I make myself break. See, this is how the healing starts. 
when we allow ourselves to see that there is a God who willingly chose to bear our own sin and filth and depravity, not seeing our identity as his enemies, but his family and what we could be. See, when he opens our eyes and we finally realize that our old self must die to stop feeding us lies, lies that scream unworthiness from our wallets to our face, lies that keep our eyes from forgiveness and from grace, lies that broadcast not what we've gained, but what we've lost, those same lies that we believe in are the same ones that he bore upon the cross. See, that cross, that beautiful cross that was so rightfully yours and mine to bear, that cross that screams, I love you, even when we shout back, I don't care. Yet, he still loves us in the midst of our sinful addictions just as much as when we choose to bow before him in humble submission. Submission that is powerful enough to love our enemies and love that is strong enough to set a mind free. Because of his unwavering love, we are able to live as we were created to be and we were created to love as we were as brothers and sisters from the richest to the poor to the greatest to the least. We love because he loves and chooses to be the beauty within this beast. Thank you. As I said, you know, good morning, church. It is so good to see you guys. I'm so glad that I'm here. I'm so glad that that Pastor uh, PD, Pastor Dave, has given me the opportunity to to preach to you guys and to let you know what's on my heart. And hopefully, we can relate with each other this morning. So good to see you guys, and I'm so awed and, and in awe and just wowed by the example that is set before me of those who live their faith inside the church and outside the church. And I want to dwell a little bit uh, uh, on that with you guys today, if I may. So let me start off with an unusual question, okay? So what is your life worth? Your life. You know, the innermost being of all that you are, all that you hope to be, and all that you will become. What is your life worth to you? From the time where the Most High called you into existence by breathing life into your mother's womb to where you sit here at this very moment. As your lungs are inhaling and exhaling, as your heart receives poor oxygen blood from your veins and pumps it into your lungs through your arteries to the rest of your body and gives you the functionality and will to get up and participate with us today. Again, I ask you, church, individually, what is the cost of your life worth to you? Contemplate that for a second. Let's digest together. See, it's questions like these and, and this question that have been shaking my mind and, and rocking my decision-making for the past couple of months now. And to be completely honest with you, I need your help on this. I need your prayers on this because I'm still learning uh, through my own convictions and through the testimony of others. As I said before, so many of you have, have strengthened my faith with the way you live yours. And I'm so grateful for that. I'm so grateful to be a part of a church that lives its faith on and off the stage and in and outside of the church. As I said before, I am learning um, how to process this and how to understand this. And one, how important it is to genuinely represent uh, what it means to be a Christ follower. And two, what the heck that means on a daily basis. You know, I mean, and do I really understand my life? Let's, let's think about this here. Do we really understand our lives? And sometimes the more important question is, do we really understand our lives and the importance of everyone else's? Does this make sense to you? Is this clicking toward anybody? <laughs> because I just, as, as I said before, this is something that I, I, need to, um, I need to learn. This is something that the Lord has been teaching me. Not just the importance of, of building my life, as that song says, beautiful, beautiful, and I will build my life upon your love. Well, what about everybody else's? 
you know, your friends, your relatives, your enemies, the people you like, the people you don't like, the people you work with, the people who are incarcerated. So many times we, we, we get, tend to focus on, on building our lives up for the Lord without regard to anyone else's. You know? And I know as a minister, as a pastor, it seems typical to ask these kind of questions, but let us try to take ourselves aside of the church setting this morning, out of what we're supposed to think, out of what we're supposed to know, out of, out of what we're supposed to react and into the realm of normal human-to-human interaction. Okay? All right, so let's get a little rear here. Uh, real here. I was going to let a little rear. Let's get a little real here this morning. So let's put on our thinking caps. So I need some interaction, okay? All right. So I need somebody, at least three people, to tell me something that absolutely irritates you or ticks you off about the fallibility of other people. Be it in the car, be it around Christmas time, just something that you just, every time you think about this one certain thing, it just ticks you off, just irks you to no end. Can somebody give me some example of something that ticks you off about the imperfections of another? Being ignored. Absolutely. There is nothing like going to a church. Thank you for that. There's nothing like going to a church and not being noticed. I remember one time I went to this church in Spokane, Washington, and I went in, and there was no greeting, no hi, no how are you. And I grew up in the church, so I, I kind of come to expect these things. And I remember in the middle of worship pretending that I had a phone call just so I could leave. You know what I'm talking about? You know those moments where you just walk in, and it just seems as though the bigger the church, the lonelier the congregation and that's something that, that I have never experienced here because I've always experienced love and genuine love from you guys. So that's a really good answer, being lonely. Give me another one. Wait, that was, whoa. All right, what, we heard something driving? Oh, texting and driving. Oh, my goodness, yeah. This girl yesterday, I was driving to... Uh, what did I, I was driving to Taco Bell. I am obsessed with Taco Bell. I'm a bad Mexican. I am obsessed with Taco Bell. And I was driving to Taco Bell. You know, it was only the third time this week. Uh, and I was driving to Taco Bell, and this girl, she had her elbows on the steering wheel and was texting like and driving like that. I mean, that's horrible. I mean, my goodness, we have no idea the power that we have when we get behind the wheel. So I agree 100%. Give me, somebody give me one more. Being ungrateful. Like how? Entitlement. People who think they're above others. Oh my goodness. You know, I'm not trying to get political or anything, but when I see somebody fearing over something else, if I can do something to make that other person feel better, it is my job as a Christian and as a person to do that thing. Does this make sense? And you know what I'm talking about. So I just want to encourage you guys. You know, the Bible says to, to think of others, to love thy neighbor as we love ourselves. And if we see our neighbor living in fear, we can do something about it. We are obligated to. Amen? All right. So, great answer. My problem is, actually it has something to do with uh, the last answer. My problem is learning how to respond when someone is kind of a jerk to me. And I don't know, I don't necessarily deserve it. You guys know what I'm talking about? I mean, there have been plenty of times, I mean, you know, I, I got a big mouth sometimes. You know, my vodka is pretty, uh, pretty irritated sometimes. And you know what? There have been plenty of times where I absolutely deserved a snap of a response for something that I've said and what I've done. But what I can't seem to handle is when I'm blindsided by a mean comment or a rude remark that comes out of nowhere. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, we all have to, we're all imperfect. We all have to deal with situations like this all of the time, but it's something that I still struggle with. If I say good morning to somebody or they blow you off or they just say something and you're just like, where did this come from? 
and how am I supposed to handle this like Jesus would, you know? I wish I could handle it like God would in the Old Testament, just, you know? <laughs> but that's not how we're supposed to be, am I right? I remember, you know, uh, in my younger years, because um, I'm old and brittle, um, I remember in my younger years, I used to work at a, a Chick-fil-A. Anybody ever been to Chick-fil-A? Yeah. God, I love Chick-fil-A. It's so, so good. Um, and I love it because when I worked there, they take care of you. And I was the dining room host because I love people. And I was also the Chick-fil-A cow. <laughs> Both are equally important. I loved my job. And, you know, when it got crazy busy, um, they would ask me to go behind the register. And I remember two stories specifically that really ties into what I'm talking about. The first story is, is I remember we were, I worked at a Chick-fil-A inside of a mall right next to a high school. So it got crazy busy around lunchtime. I mean, it just got so, so busy and so full. And I remember the lunch crowd was coming up, and, and the work people came, and, and the high school kids came, and it got crazy busy. So they're like, Josh, we need you behind the register. I said, sure, no problem. And I go behind the register, and this kid comes up to me, man, this high school kid. And he comes up to the register, and he's just smiling a whip. He's just so, so happy. And he just, I'm like, hey, how you doing? He's engaging in this conversation with me. And I'm like, what can I help you with? He's like, I need two meals. And I was like, for here to go? He said, for here. So I gave him his two meals. He eventually got them. He puts one in front of him and one in the seat in front of his tray. And he waits there. And he waits there. And he waits there. And the lunch rush eventually starts to dissipate. And I look and I see this kid is still here. Untouched food, still sitting there. Don't know what's going on. And so... As I go back to uh, being the dining room host, I, I, I notice him, and as I said before, he has hardly touched his meal. And I go up to him, and I'm like, hey, dude, is everything okay? And he just looks up at me. I'll never, ever forget this. He looks up with me and said the six words that broke my heart. He looked up at me with tears in his eyes and said, I just thought she would come. Hmm. I don't know about you. Let me get a little more of an awe than that. Come on. I mean, have you ever been stood up before? It hurts. I was stood up once. It was at a sushi place. I had to sneak out. You know, I remember the girl called me later, and she was like, oh, I was late for class. I was like, well, then I'm late to talking to you ever again. And, and, uh, but yeah, I remember this poor kid. I remember... I, I didn't know what to say, so I bagged up his food, gave him like two ice cream cones and a hug, and, and I said, look, man, I'm so sorry. You know, things will get better. But I, you know, I remember feeling good about that because I, I felt like the Lord was, was using such a light situation to, um, to help brighten this kid's day and to teach me something. Of course, it really didn't teach me anything because a couple of weeks later, we had a Black Friday. You guys ever been to a Black Friday sale? Awful. Awful, awful. Right after the day after Thanksgiving. Come on, really? Really, you're going to beat up each other over things that you're supposed to be grateful for the day before? Come on. That's my own preference. Rant over. So sorry about that. But I remember I was working. I worked in the morning at the Disney store because I was working at the Disney store. Love Disney. And I was working in the afternoon towards the end of my shift at, a, at the same Chick-fil-A in the mall. And it was crazy busy, and people were just irritated and irritable at the end of the day. The dining room was a mess. I was behind the register most of the day, so I really didn't get a chance to, to talk and to interact with people. And one of my last customers came up to me, and she was something else, man. I mean, she just, I mean, you just had one of those people, those, those Karens, you know, who were just like, you know, comes up to the register, and she's like, just blatantly telling me her order. I mean, she's just like demanding what she wants. And usually there's a nice, you know, there's a proper etiquette. There's a proper way of dealing with these kind of things. And she's just laying down her order and just really, really rude and demanding. And at the very end of the transaction, and she was like, at the very end of the transaction, she uh, goes, oh, by the way, I'm military. And she pulls out her military card and kind of throws it on the table. 
And by this time, I had enough of this lady, you know. And I was just, man, we had to deal with customers all day. Most of them have been really nice. This lady was just the last straw. And I remember picking up that card and looking at it and looking at her. And she's like, it's a blank, ugly picture, isn't it? And I was like, well, it fits your personality. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, not my best what would Jesus do moment. (laughs) You know what I mean? I think we've all been in situations like that where we have put our foot in our mouths or wanting to put our foot in other people's mouths, if you know what I mean. But it still saddens me to this day because I didn't know what that lady was going through. You know, I didn't know what she had seen or the reasons that led her to my register. But I willingly allowed the moment to dictate my actions. I willingly allowed her response to control my response. Now, if you're taking notes, this is just a bit of advice. If you're taking notes, please write this down. When you are engaging in any kind of conversation, either hostile or peaceful, please think about this. Don't listen to respond. Listen to understand. Am I right? I mean, don't listen to respond. Listen to understand. It is such a waste of time for the recipient of your conversation if all you're going to do is wait till they shut up in order to say what you really want to say without regard to how they are really feeling. You know, James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20, it says, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to what? Become angry. For a man's anger does not accomplish God's righteousness. For a man's anger, or in this case, a man's lack of ability to understand, does not accomplish God's righteousness. Verse 21 says, So get rid of every filthy habit and every wicked conduct. Submit to God and accept the word that he plants into your heart, which is able to save you. I love that, which is able to save you. The Bible says to get rid of every filthy habit. That's a lot. And all wicked conduct. I don't know about you, but that's a lot on my part. I mean, I am not the most sainted person whenever I arrive here at the church, you know? I mean, even yesterday, I got cut off by a lady, and I was just like, oh, my gosh. And then, you know, of course, I had to use the horn. You know, the horn is like the cuss word, you know, instead of you know, actually saying it. You just use the horn. And what did she do? She rolled down her window and waved at me, if you know what I mean, you know? And so it was just like, but you can agree with me, right? These are hard things to live by. And once again, I'm not trying to depress you this morning or bring you down or anything, but to challenge you as I am being challenged to myself to uh, this life and the purpose of our beings why we are really here to know christ as we've been created to and to make him known in every way that makes an eternal impact not just the sunday by sunday position let I me mean, think about it i mean i grew up in the church i know it's expected you know i grew up in in the church you know one thing i'm very grateful that i grew up in the church but at the same time when you grow up in the church it's so easy to fake it it's so easy to raise my hands without really realizing what i'm saying here's something that the that somebody taught me that that really made a lot of sense he said the lord is going to te- uh, make you accountable for every word that you say whether you believe it or not so if i say something like and i will build my life upon your love it is a firm foundation god saying okay you're going to build your life let's work on it let's see what we can do right he's going to hold me accountable whether i believe the words i'm saying or not why because other people are watching and two i'm supposed to be his kid you know and if i'm his kid he's going to keep me accountable and make me strong even through the words that i say but so many times as i said we can't we come to church programmed and ready to to respond and ready to 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 tithe to tithe but not really ready to tithe with our lives you know 
and we come to church just hoping that that we'll get better. We come to church hoping that things will be great to get us through the rest of the week. Let me tell you something. The constant need to clean out our spirits takes an everyday cleansing, not just a once a week spiritual bath. An everyday cleansing. And sometimes we take advantage of that. We come to church, okay, well, yeah, we got the blood of Jesus, we got grace. Yes, grace. Absolutely. Grace is there. Sweet, valuable grace. Thank you, Jesus. We can't make it without it, and we receive it because we need it. Let me say that again. We receive it because we need it. Grace is there to take care of the things we cannot, but the things that we can, we are obligated to. We can't just leave things and say, okay, I'm going to leave my life in God's hands and not do anything about it. No, actually, God gave us a mind and the physical ability, and he gave us a brain, and he gave us a conscience in order to live out our faith rather than just take advantage of the salvation that he so freely gives us. Mm, God is working in my heart. (laughs) I mean, the sins that so easily entangle us on a day-to-day basis in every situation, and it comes down to how we choose to respond to people of all different lives and lifestyles and socioeconomic levels. I mean, this is what we're called to be. The Bible says that he has called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. Guess what happens? When you're in the light, you shine just as bright as it. And this is what God wants us to do. We're supposed to be that shining city on a hill every day of the week. Not just on Sundays. Not just when we feel like like other people are noticing us or, or, or it makes us look better. Does it sound hard? You bet it does. But thank God for God and the body of Christ that was made so we don't have to go through it alone. See, this is why life groups are so important. How many of you guys are part of a life group? That's not a lot of people. Guys, life groups are so, so important. They aren't just many church meetings in the middle of a group. Did you know we have life groups here? Yep. Okay, well, get plugged into it. I mean, come on. We are supposed to be there for one another. We are the body of Christ. As I said, they aren't just many churches or many church meetings in the middle of your, we- your week, but are the living body of Christ exemplified in human form. We need each other. I mean, everybody look at the per- to the person on your right. Okay, now look at the person to your left. Okay? <laughs> if you are struggling this morning, if you are hurting, if you are lonely, if you are looking for answers, well, here is your answer. We are the body of Christ. We are Christ represented here today. Come on. I want everybody to do me a favor and say your name on the count of three. One, two, three. Okay, wonderful. You are a part of the body of Christ. So the next, I want you to say your name again, but at the very end say, is a part of the body of Christ. One, two, three. Josh is a part of the body of Christ. We need each other. We need you. Whether you realize it or not, where you feeling, whether you're feeling outcast or you're feeling like you're, all your life is, is all put together, if you are, I'd like to meet you and find out how. But <laughs> we need you. You have such a vital role in God's kingdom. Whether you realize it or not, You are still breathing. You are still ticking. And because of that, you still have a purpose. And God can do amazing things through you if only you just let go and trust him. 1 Corinthians 12, 27 says, You are Christ's body. That's who you are. You must never, ever, ever forget this. You must never forget this, how important you are. And I know coming here to, to Tucson, you know, I came here without really knowing anybody. I mean, I had some family in, in El Paso, which is about four hours away, which is one of the main reasons why I came to Tucson, but I also have family in Phoenix, but you know, there are times where I'm, 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 I feel a little lonely, but in those times, I should take myself and my insecurities, put them into the side, and, and, and put my pride away, and learn to trust and lean on those people. 
I need to pick up the phone and say, hey, look, I'm going through a hard time. Can you guys pray for me? You guys help me. We're a family. Todo para familia. We're supposed to be there for each other. Amen? Ooh, you're all Mexican on you guys. So, <laughs> as I said, you are Christ's body. As it says in 1 Corinthians 12, 27, that's who you are. You must never, ever forget this. I think as Christians and as God creation, we forget how important we are. Not just to God, but to each other. Let me tell you something, that the power that we have to make a difference in each other's lives is very, very much real. Think about it. I mean, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. That's God himself inside of you. Think of what you're capable of. Think about it. I mean, think about what he can do through you individually and collectively. Yet we choose to sometimes mess that up, sometimes daily, with the thought that we're just not good enough. You know, I mean, we go through these, these, these pitiful and these hurtful circumstances of the if-onlys. You know, if only I was this way, if only I was that way, if I only was thinner, if only if I had more muscle, if only I wasn't married to him, if only I wasn't married to her, if only I was with her. You know, I mean, just, we go through these, these, these comparisons that really rob God of the purpose of our beings. I mean, think about it. You want to know, church, what the stupidest sin in the world is. It is the sin of jealousy in comparison. I mean, seriously, I mean, why are you going to water down who God made and designed you to be for another sinful, fallible human being whom you secretly wish to be like? Yeah, think about it. If God himself, in all of his wisdom and glory and power, who has designed you into being, who has gifted you with a very specific and detailed life, why do you allow your insecurities to brainwash you into believing that you are simply not enough? I mean, come on. I mean, you know what happens as that builds up? You know what happens next? That same insecurity turns into intimidation and then to hatred, not only for that other person, but also yourself. And so what you're really doing is you're robbing God of the joy and robbing yourself of the joy and the purpose of your life. So when we're in those dark times, we allow ourselves to get mad and insecure. When we see the success of our enemies, we've all been there. And we start taking our eyes off of our own lives and start looking for ways to bring them down. Well, why are you looking at your enemy in the first place? I mean, think about it. I mean, I mean, is it your place? Absolutely not. Why are you looking down when you should be looking up? Come on. I mean, as believers, we are supposed to grow maturely in our faith, not get upset and angry and ready to strike back at everything that offends us. One of my favorite verses is found in uh, the uh, sixth chapter of Luke where Jesus is talking and he's saying, look guys, love your enemies. But I tell you who hear me, love your enemies. Do good to those who curse you. Bless those who mistreat you. Pray for those who mistreat you. I'm getting the words wrong. <laughs> you know, if someone strikes you on one cheek, turn them the other also. If someone takes your jacket, do not stop them from taking your undershirt as well. Give to everyone you, who asks you, and if anybody takes something that does not belong to them, do not demand it back. How is that loving your enemy if, if you're so focused on bringing them down? How is that blessing those who curse you? How is that showing that you have the ultimate truth and the purpose of our lives living inside of you and trying to make you into a better person? I mean, think about it. I love this verse. I mean, so many times we tend to, to, to say the prayer of salvation and just leave it at that. But Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1 says, Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go to the maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and faith towards God. It cannot stop just at the prayer of salvation, church. 
There has to be growth. We can't just be craving spiritual milk, spiritual milk, spiritual milk over and over. We've got to develop some spiritual teeth in order to make a difference in this world. Hebrews 10.38 says, But my righteousness, my righteous one, shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. That's deep. That's deep. I mean, if we are so conformed just to stay here every Sunday and just to have our show of the world, oh yeah, I'm a Christian, I go to church on Sunday, but you're not doing anything past that, what good are you to the body of Christ? What good are you doing in showing to the world? I mean, think about it. If we have the ultimate truth inside of us, the ultimate truth, if the whole, the whole reason for existence is to know Christ and to make him known, what are we to do with that? I mean, how are we supposed to exemplify that or example or show the world that there's a light only on Sundays? Absolutely not. Allow God to use you where you are every day and allow him to, to build his kingdom up through you. That's the purpose, guys. We're supposed to live in eternity now. You know, and so many times we get comfortable. So many times we, 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 we tend to, to focus back or we get comfortable in our, in our personalized, selfish, you know, Christian, Americanized Christian shell to where we're Christian when we're supposed to be, but yet we still go back to comfortably going back to our old habits, you know, and we're kind of jerks to other people. I, I can admit it. I've been it. I mean, think about it. Christians shouldn't be jerks to other Christians, right? And so many times we're like, oh, well, I'm a Christian and I'm with my people. I can treat them like this because they're saved by grace. And I'm saved by grace. Well, you know, and sometimes we give the pitiful excuse of, oh, well, that's just who I am. Well, that you're wrong. Jesus is supposed to make you better. Okay, and I'm preaching to the mirror here, guys. I'm not just preaching to the congregation. I need to learn this. He's supposed to make you better here, and he's supposed to make you better here. And if you're going to sell for anything less, you're going to run on empty. We are supposed to grow in our faith, not just settle for what makes us comfortable. And it's so easy to preach and so hard to live by. I mean, I struggle with this, and I need your prayer. I need your prayers. I need your prayers daily, and, you know, and just like I'm praying for you, we're supposed to be there to edify the body, to strengthen our God, you know. So my birthday is next Sunday. Thank you, thank you. You know, I'm getting old and brittle. Uh, and it, but here's the, the, the reason for me saying it, this is that every year I seem to make the same promises to God. You know, maybe you can relate. You know, every year, man, I wake up, I'm like, oh, Lord, this will be the year. My goodness, this year I'll be more on fire, bigger, ready to take on the world. I can't wait to see how far I've come by this time next year. How many of you guys have said that prayer before? Man, I'm going to be a better person. I'm going to do better things. I'm going to be in such a better position in such a better spot than I am this year. And then what happens by this time next year? Oh, Lord, here I go again. This year will be the year. I mean, come on, think about it. But if, I, if I'm all talk and no growth, what good am I as a person, as a spirit, and as a representative of Jesus? Think about it. Let me put it in another way, okay? <clears throat> Maybe the guys will understand this. Imagine somebody gave you a brand new car, okay? Brand new, 2020, 500 horsepower V10 Dodge Viper. Do they still make Dodge Vipers? Uh, let's just go with that. Or, 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 or a beautiful teal blue BMW, like the one that's outside. I don't know if you've seen that car. That is one beautiful, beautiful car. So imagine somebody gave you a brand new car, the Broncos that are coming out next year. I am so excited about that. Yeah. So imagine somebody gave you a brand new car, just handed you the keys, zero miles, gas tank full, and you're ready to go. Okay? 
That'd be a heck of a blessing, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Or maybe a brand new Kia Soul, like the one that I have out. Um, uh, my youth don't like my Kia Soul. I love my car. My youth are like, that thing is ugly, Josh. You look like you shouldn't be wearing a red nose and big shoes. But I love my car. Besides that, imagine somebody, as I said before, who gives you a brand new car. Just tank full of gas, ready to go. And you see this car, and you get excited every time you lay eyes on it. I mean, it's just beautiful. And even though you have the keys in your hand, you leave it there. And because it goes nowhere, you go nowhere. I mean, sure, you tell people about it from time to time. When they need a ride and you see them walking and struggling, you mention that you have this brand new car ready to take the both of you, but you don't. I mean, and as I said before, because it goes nowhere, you go nowhere. This is what happens when we treat our faith and our relationship with God and we don't grow. I mean, we treat him like a brand new car inside of a shack of a garage of an old broken down house. Knowing what we have, where we should go, but too lazy and content to get there. I'm preaching to myself, guys. I mean, we all deal with, I mean, think about it. I mean, and as I said before, we come to church and just, we come to church saying, okay, I'm going to come to church and I'm going to feel better when I leave. But then we, we eventually crave church at the end of the week rather than being in the church every single day and everywhere we go. I mean, we all deal with many kinds of addictions. We all have many different types of people with many different stories. We all deal with many kinds of addictions, but sometimes we we treat church as one of those addictions. Sometimes we come to church in order to get some sort of spiritual high. But the thing about getting high, my friends, is that it eventually wears off. It doesn't last. It lasts. It leaves you craving more because it doesn't feel enough. Jesus says in John chapter 4, verse 14, he says, Whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John chapter 7, verses 37, 38, it says, Let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink, for the scriptures declare rivers of living water will flow from the heart of anyone who believes in me. And it's not just believing, it's believing with your actions. It's putting your faith and your feet together and saying, Okay, God, I believe you, now let's see where we can go. But you got to take the first step, church. You got to more than just want it. You have to long for it. You got to crave it. And as I said, I don't want to say things to, to, to make you feel like I know what I'm doing or make you feel like I, I, I'm either better than you or these are things I'm supposed to say because I'm on, on stage. But these are struggles that we all go through daily. And I am learning, as most of you are learning, how hard it is to represent Christ in a world that is so rapidly spinning out of control. As I said, you got to long for it. You got to pursue it. You got to hunger for it. You have to reg- recognize its cost. It costs to become a Christian. We're too we're too cushy here sometimes, living in America, when there are people all around the world who are li- literally giving up their lives and the lives of their children for the cost of Christ. Matthew five, verse six says, "Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled." Church, I want to be satisfied always, not just every Sunday, not just every time I go to a Christian event or a Christian a revival. You know, something that ticks me off is that every time you guys go, I don't know if you guys have been to a concert or you guys even remember concerts. You know, but have you noticed? Or Justin, you, you're a musician. I think you, you've noticed this. You know, have you noticed that every time you go to a Christian concert? Everybody's wearing a Jesus shirt. Right? Everybody's wearing a Jesus shirt. But why are you wearing those shirts for the rest of the time? 
Where are those Jesus shirts at the grocery stores? Where are those Jesus shirts at the bank? Where are those Jesus shirts where the people that need it the most? Why am I going to preach to you if, if, if you're saved and you're on the way, your way to heaven just as much as I am? You know? As I said before, I want to be satisfied, and I want the world to be satisfied. In order for the world to be satisfied, I need to show them that I am satisfied, that I am different, that God has saved me for a reason, that I have found the purpose of my existence. But to do that, I have to be willing to walk. And instead of saying, Jesus, take the will, how about saying, Jesus, you are the will? I mean, think about it, you know, and I will go wherever you take me, knowing that you will satisfy and never run dry. I will allow your joy to satisfy me in any and every situation. Hmm. Let me tell you something, church. I want you to listen carefully. Nobody has the right to rob you of your joy, including yourself. And it's easy to say, but it's so much harder to realize. Nobody has a right to rob you of your joy, including yourself. Let me tell you something else that you already know, but I need you guys to really understand this, that you matter to God. You matter to the creator of the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there was God, the word was with God, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. You were made by that creator, specifically Okay, your name, you matter to God. Justin, you matter to God. Other Justin, wherever you are, you matter to God. Cindy, you matter to God. You matter. My youth, whom I love and adore, you matter to God. You matter to God. And it's more than than God's just saying, okay, well, there's my, my son. But no, 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 he's saying, look, there's my son whom I loved, and I showed him how to live a life that could please me. I, I want the best for him. Because I love him, because I proved it with my actions, not just with my words, because I, I, I gave my life to show this person their worth. Yes. See, whether you choose to believe it or not, uh, at this moment in your life or not, you have been specifically designed by your creator to do amazing things for him. Yeah. I mean, think about it. The things that he wants to do, literally, in your life are truly bigger than you can imagine. Yeah. All right, but, but let's get real here, okay? Some of you may be thinking, yeah, right. You know, I mean, I've, seen, I've never seen him do anything great in me, and I've been in church all of my life. I don't believe that for a second. Some of you might be thinking this. Well, maybe that's why you haven't seen it yet. I mean, think about it. I mean, God requires commitment and daily growth, not just laziness and impatient expectancies birthed in order to make us feel better. Okay, frankly, some of us need to tar- start taking our faith seriously to allow our souls to grow up. Sometimes the body needs to have the courage to address its wounds. And when ready, it should realize the honor and duty it is to go out and find those whom God seems ready to become a part of it. Is it uncomfortable? Absolutely. Is it scary? Sure. But is it worth it? Absolutely. I mean, think of yourselves. Think of how someone had the spiritual guts to let you know the state of your spiritual condition. Where would you be if they hadn't? You know, I think about this often. I, I, I think of, of a story. I love this story of, of a young woman who was so caught up in her way of living, in her version of religion, that she defied anyone who would try to change her mind. I mean, anyone who tried to change her way of living. Until one day, I love this story, until one day a friend of hers had the guts and the spiritual determination to let her know the state of her spiritual condition, which of course angered her to the point of telling this guy off. I mean, she just let this guy have it. 
You know, I mean, who are you to tell me that what I'm doing is different? She thought that just by living a self-righteous religion, by going to church, by teaching, by following certain rules and good works, that she would be good enough to be on God's good side. But as you and I know, without the grace and precious blood of Jesus, she would forever be lost. Well, through many months of stubborn prayer and the power of not giving up on this woman, she eventually came to a solid and lasting relationship with Jesus Christ. I love that. And the man who had the determination uh, to pour his faith into her life eventually had the honor of facilitating her own Christian wedding. I love that. And a couple of years after that, I was born by this very woman and her husband. Yeah. Absolutely. I was born and raised into a family that no one loved Jesus because someone had the guts to not only share their faith with their words, but also their actions by not giving up regardless of the negative backfire. 1 Corinthians 15.58 says, Be steadfast and immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work, knowing that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. It has purpose. If you, I mean, the all we're called to do as Christians is, is, is to live the life as best we can, as Jesus wants us to, and to plant seeds. That's what we're called to do. And as I said, knowing that the labor that you are doing, the, the seeds that you're planting for the Lord is not in vain. I'm Hispanic. I'm very stubborn. You know, I come from a stubborn family. And something that the Lord has been teaching me lately is that if you're going to be stubborn about something, be stubborn about your faith. Be stubborn about your faith. I mean, no person, no enemy, no dictator, no government has the right to tell you how to live your life in Jesus Christ. Think about that. At the end of the day and at the end of my life, I'm not going to look at a government. At the end of the day, I'm not going to look at my enemies and say, well, I did what you told me to do or what you didn't tell me to do. I'm going to look at Jesus and say, God, my life was in your hands. I want to build my life by your love. I want to build my life. I want to tell other people, not just with my words, but with my actions, all that you've done for me. I want to be willing to stand up for you, even if it means I die, even if it causes me to end my life early. Allow the Lord, please, allow the Lord to make you strong this morning, to fill you with genuine joy that far exceeds temporal emotion. Because joy, real joy, is not an emotion. It's an assurance. Let me say that again. Real joy is not an emotion. It's an insurance. It's why we live and how we live. Your example, your Christ-like example, could literally mean the eternity of someone else. That's huge, but it's what we're called to do. A couple of action steps. Talk too fast, and we're done. A <laughs> couple of action steps, guys. Three, to be exact. Number one, if you're struggling, I know, me too. If you're struggling, and there are, un, there are none here who aren't, ask God for help. Ask God for help. The Bible said that he is willing, always willing, to give you wisdom whenever you need it. That's James chapter 1, verse 5. He's always willing. All you got to do is submit, put your pride to the side, and say, God, I need help. Number two, ask God, and I need this too, ask God to give you people who are willing to guide you to Jesus, not just to comfort Amen? Ask, people, or ask God to give you people who are willing to guide you to Jesus, not just to comfort. People who are willing to love you through all seasons of your life and those times where you are really struggling in your faith when you are numb about your relationship with the Lord or flat out don't care. 
We've all been there. We've all been through those hard seasons in our life where we have questioned God's goodness. And three, this is homework for you guys tonight. Read Ephesians. Write this down. Read Ephesians chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 with your family tonight. Make this a commitment. Make this a foundation. Make this a pillar in which you and your family live your life. It says, We shall no longer be children carried off by the waves and blown about by every shifting wind of teaching of deceitful people who lead others into error by the tricks they invent. Instead, by speaking the truth and spirit of love, we must grow up together in every way to Christ, who is the head under his control, all the different parts of the body fit together. And the whole body is held together by every joint with which it is provided. So when every, each and every separate part works as it should, the whole body grows and builds itself up through love. The whole body builds itself up through love. Love is eternal, guys. You are eternal. So live in that eternity now. I mean, after all, your soul is already. Why not the rest of you? And for those of you who don't know who Jesus is, those of you who have come as a visitor and you're wondering, why, why does he keep on mentioning Jesus? Well, guess what? Jesus is why we're here. Whether you know him or you don't know him, Jesus is why we're here. Keith Green, he was an old singer who died in, in the 80s. He's, uh, he was a, a wonderful singer. And he, um, one of his quotes was, I'd rather have people hate me with the knowledge that I try to save them. That's how we should be as Christians. We should be willing to preach the gospel to whomever, whenever, regardless of the impact, either negative or positive. I love you guys. God loves you, whether you realize it or not. Let's live our faith. Let's pray. Holy God, I just... First of all, I want to say I'm sorry. I'm sorry for not taking my faith as serious as I should. I'm sorry for, for being a good example on Sundays, but not really caring about the rest of the week. Lord, I just pray as a church and as a congregation that you give us the strength to live for you no matter the cost, no matter the outcome. We have been saved for you. We have been created for you. Show us how to walk. Let us always remember that you are the final victory and that no weapon formed against us shall prosper, and every tongue that comes against us will be condemned. Why? Because you are our guide. You are our shield. You love us. You've proved it in the past. You prove it in the present and in the future. Help us to love you and help us to live the purpose of our beings. Thank you, God, for using us. Thank you for choosing to use such fallible, imperfect people to build your kingdom. We are willing to be the church every single day. In Jesus' name, amen. Remember, church, a couple of things. Remember, church, oh, my, my little doohickey just came off. Oh, it says thank you for joining us. Remember, church, that you are the beauty. I mean, remember, church, that you are the diamond, or you have a diamond in the rough of your heart, that you have a beauty within this beast of you. Remember the example that you are. Remember that you are here for a purpose. Remember that God loves you and that you are purposed and valued and been created to do amazing things for him. Go out and make a difference into this world because that's why you were created and that's why you were saved. God bless you guys. We'll see you next Sunday. Take care.